This is Mortification of Spin, a bully pulpit from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We can continue only with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. After the podcast, listen for details on how you can receive a free resource. You are listening to The Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. It's our shorter podcast, so we don't have as much time as we normally do, but I do want to introduce uh, my my regular cohorts in this endeavor. Um, Amy Bird, who is the housewife theologian who hails from the great state of West Virginia, and Carl Truman from Westminster Seminary and pastor of uh, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church is here as always as well. Um, Carl Truman, you uh, ran across an article that uh, the three of us found somewhat interesting. Why don't you introduce uh, the subject to us? Yeah, the the article is on the blog of Professor Scott McKnight. He's a New Testament scholar, works uh, out of Chicago. It's on Scott McKnight's blog. It's on Dated January 22nd, 2014. I will place a link to it on the Reformation 21 site when this program is airing. Uh, The article was not written by Scott, but written by uh, somebody called Jonathan Stormont. I I don't know the gentleman who wrote it, but it's an extremely perceptive uh, comment on what he thinks is one of the church's biggest challenges today. And I'll just read a little paragraph that will give you a a good insight into where he's coming from. He's talking about this crisis within the church. He says it is not a crisis of morality or lack of fidelity to the gospel or anything that stirs up controversy. The problem is that it is really hard to be a church of five different generations. More to the point, we're not able to get older people and younger people to hang out together anymore. And he then goes on to unpack that and really talks about the the problematic youth focus of, of many of, uh, of the rising churches, but also just that general problem of, of how do you get a church to reflect the spread of ages? We live in, a, in an increasingly aging society. Uh, we're cons- constantly told that there are more and more older people, more and me- more people over the age of 65 around us. Uh, there is a reason why my co-pastor told me recently that classic rock channels now have uh, commercial breaks for hip replacements on them. Mm. <laughs> we're all we're all getting we're all getting older, and yet the church is finding it so difficult to be trans generational. So I thought I'd raise that as a topic for the day and, and, and throw that out there for for discussion. Do you guys have any thoughts, reflections on that? Well, you know, I ever since the advent of the church growth movement, um, of course, uh, the, the Donald McGavern's idea of homogeneous groups was really latched upon. And, and McGavern's observation, which is absolutely accurate, is that groups that are like each other tend to grow more. In other words, we gravitate towards people that are like us. Well, clearly that's true. I would rather spend time with people who look and think and act just like me. Not necessarily look, but certainly think and act just like me. Um, I have more in common with people like me. The problem is that becomes a pragmatic principle. If I want my church to be bigger, then I need to reach like people. And notice that nobody ever says... You know, I really want to reach the seniors in my community. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a church that really, really seeks to reach out to senior adults. No, it's always 
the same group, uh, young, upwardly mobile, 30-somethings. Um, and the, 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 the question is not whether or not it works. Yes, you can get a bigger church that way. The question is, is it the church then? That's a good question, Todd. I think even beyond um, worship style and taste, which you know we definitely focus on age there um, and the worship wars, but even just um, logistical issues, like I've mentioned before that I'm a part of a women's Bible study that meets on Tuesday mornings, and everyone there, um, I'm by far the youngest one there at 38 years old. Everyone else there is uh, retirement age and beyond, and I love being in that group, and they treat me wonderful. But the thing is, it's Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock. There's no child care provided. So it's not likely that they're going to attract a lot of people my age. And then on the other hand, I'm hosting at my house a monthly housewife theologian group for the church, but that's from like 6.30 to 8.30 in the evening. And so I'm finding a younger crowd in my group just because of the time that it is. The, the older crowd, they don't want to stay out that late. They don't even like driving in the dark, some of them say. So there's even these logistical issues that we have to mm-hmm. think about and when, to be more purposeful to get together. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I mean, I take your point about the homogeneous unit approach, Todd, but of course, even even churches that don't self-consciously pursue that find themselves mm-hmm. tending in certain generational directions. No I was yeah. struck on Sunday, we had, uh, I think in our church, and this makes me a mega church uh, by by OPC <laughs> standards. We had a, we I think we had about 170 people in church uh-huh. on Sunday morning, and I think around 35 of them were young children. Now that's great. Ten years ago, there were no real young children in our church, or very few. And yet, what's happened is one young family come, another young family comes, notice this is a young family already there, and, and the whole thing snowballs. Right. Uh, the problem then, of course, becomes what about the, the long-standing members of the congregation? Do they start to feel marginalized by the new vibe? Do they feel pushed to the edge? Because young people, young families, they bring a lot of energy. They tend to become the center of attention sure. pretty quickly without intending or desiring right. to be so. It's just the way the world is. Uh, how do we sort of handle that kind of problem mm-hmm. you probably pay somebody to handle it for you <laughs> so for those of us sure, in, sure. in, in yeah. small churches how would we handle that problem yeah. well you know i mean it one of the things that i've been encouraged by at covenant presbyterian church is we're located in a in a university town um james madison university over twenty thousand students second largest university in uh, the state of virginia and as a consequence uh, we do get to see a lot of young faces now that's something that this church has historically valued um, the church was planted uh, deliberately to seek to, to evangelize and disciple college students. That said, one of the beautiful things that I get to observe as a, a, a fairly new guy here is the number of older adults that are regularly engaged with college students in our church. And I could introduce you to older men in our church who regularly meet for Bible study with college students and college students who crave that sort of interaction from an older man who loves them, who knows the word, and willingly seeks after uh, their uh, after them to engage them. And, and that's, and that's really nice. I yeah, think and, that, and, and um, it's hard to force. It's more organic, but but you've got to have men and and women who are older, who who are willing to pursue those younger people. Go ahead, Amy. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think even um, it's even harder to do that with maybe the middle school and the high school. I yes. believe that a lot of times we're intimidated by them. We don't say yes. it, but we are. And um, one great way to do that, I believe, is um, just through service. My husband just recently um, got together with a youth pastor and got the youth together, and they went and cleaned up an older couple in our church's yard who mm. haven't even been able to come to church lately because of um, the wife's lupus. Mm. And what what a dedicated husband this man is, and he just shows such Christ-like love to his wife. And so both of my daughters, and actually my eight-year-old son tagged along too because he just wanted to help dad in the yard kind of thing. And um, the older gentleman whose house it was, you know, showed up as well and worked alongside of them, alongside of the youth. And then they went and visited his wife, who was in assisted care right now. And um, they came back so blessed. Like, you would think that it was the older couple who was blessed. But um, it was truly my husband and my children and the rest of the youth group that um, were just glowing when they came home from that experience. And I just think that service is such a great way and a purposeful way to connect with the older, um, wiser people in our church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would I would go as far as to say, sort of thinking culturally, that one of the areas where the church is most worldly today is in its exaltation of youth. Yes. The world tells this myth, maybe it goes back to Rousseau or somebody <laughs> I don't know, but it tells this myth that somehow youth is untainted and age corrupts. Mm. So the older you are, the more jaded you are, the more cynical, the more corrupt. We need constantly to be looking to the youth for hope. It's why, you know, you get people like Justin Bieber being asked their opinion on things which, Mm. you know, they have no competence uh, to to Mm. speak to whatsoever. And the church has to avoid that at all costs because I think the, the Bible teaches that that with age should come spiritual maturity, right? Uh, and that the older folk in the congregation are those to whom uh, the middle-aged and the younger people should look for advice, for examples of godly living. Um, might even go further than that and say uh, older folk uh, can present an example of, of godly dying. Um, right. Working, doing a bit of reading on Luther at the moment, uh, and one of the thing, one of Luther's most famous sermons is a sermon on how to prepare for death. And, of course, we marginalize old age and we exclude death from uh, being visible in our churches or coming up mm-hmm. in our conversation in any meaningful way. I think old folk can, can show us how to prepare after a yeah. lifetime of, uh, of, of being in the Lord's service, prepare for a good death. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to die, yeah. but older folk facing death with, with faith and courage, uh, I think, can be a great example for, for the younger folk. Mm-hmm. And you know, Carl, you you gave me an, uh, an example of a, a, a mutual friend you and I share, who's an older gentleman, uh, who does have a lot of wisdom as a result of his years and and his godliness. But it's only only an old man can say to a younger man, "Pray that your wife dies before you, so that she will not have to bear the pain of losing her spouse." Yeah. Yeah, you know, you you only get things like that from an older man. Um, you know, I, I couldn't have told someone that. Yeah, <laughs> I can now because an older man told me. Yeah. 
You probably shouldn't tell your wife that either, Todd. Uh, <laughs> she she may misinterpret. She may not understand. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it is it is it is the older couple who yeah. comes to understand that yes. that after forty five and fifty and fifty five years of marriage, um, the the one who is left behind bears the greater pain. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you love have loved someone for fifty or fifty five or sixty years, you say, Lord, take her first, so that she won't have to live with the pain of losing me. Yeah. And um, it, it, I, I use that as an illustration to say there are things that we can only learn from people who've walked the earth for sixty and seventy and eighty years. Yeah, yeah. And it's important our children learn that as well. I've yeah. always. Yeah been grateful that my kids we've 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 never been in a huge church we've always been in churches where we've pretty much known everybody else there and i've been grateful that my children have known and respected older christians throughout their their my children's short lives comparatively short lives they've known people who are old people who are aging people who are failing people who are dying and and i think that that is a, an appropriately educative aspect of being in church I know my husband and I have had, you know, so many good conversations with the kids just after, you know, they visited this older couple and saw the Christ-like love that he has for his wife who is, you know, too ill to contribute in any of the ways that our culture would call meaningful anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet they contributed so much to my family just by allowing them to come in and serve them. And it was just such a beautiful picture. And she um, she asked the youth group to sing to her. And there was, a, I guess there were about five or six of the kids that showed up. And when they were asked to sing, they were very uncomfortable with doing that. And um, you know what, though? They stepped out of their, their comfort zone. They pulled up Amazing Grace on their cell phones. So they all knew all the lyrics. And, and they sang. And, you know, my husband, who's more of a, like, athletic, hands-on guy, I know was just probably sucking in the tears at that moment because it's just so beautiful to, um, to be a part of something like that. Well, we will put a link up to this article on Scott McKnight's webpage, which I say is very well worth reading and certainly thinking about. Uh, as we've heard, as we've discussed, I think the the transgenerational nature of the church, it's, it's hard to achieve. Nobody's going to achieve a perfect balance. What would a perfect balance look like? Who knows? Mm. But it's certainly appropriate that we have churches where uh, from the youngest to the oldest, everybody feels welcome and uh, where there is a gravitational pull, if I could put it that way, of, of the younger ones looking to the older Christians for examples of what it means uh, to be walking with the Lord, what it means to be faithfully in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this has been the Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit, the shorter uh, podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I've been uh, one of your hosts, Carl Truman, along with my friends uh, Amy Bird and Todd Pruitt. We've been delighted to have you with us. Uh, please uh, join us next time. Thank you very much. Amy and Carl, this uh, this day we have just found out uh, marks the one-year uh, anniversary of Mortification of Spin. Uh, certainly has been a, 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 a fun experience, certainly an experience that has shaken the very foundations of the world, uh, taken the reformed world by storm, changed the way uh, we do broadcasting in America. Is there anything else I could add to that? 
I, I think to, to quote somebody like Phyllis Tickle about the emergent church, uh, something like this comes along only once every 1,000 years. <laughs> and I say that with all modesty. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. As, as I'm sure she, she opined about the emergent movement, uh, which is was something that we'd never seen before. Well, enough about the emergent movement, more about more about us. Um, what's been uh, what's been the most uncomfortable moment or should we just go to what's been the, the, the funnest moment or most or most scintillating moment? <laughs> well, I've learned some new words from you guys, so I'm thankful for that. Uh-oh. That's good. People yeah, from West Virginia often experience that. When they <laughs> I know. My vocabulary states, so. is expanding. Todd taught me uh, what a troglodyte is. and Troglodyte, yes. Troglodyte. And I learned the word mercurial from Carl. Uh, oh, I'll yeah. probably be able to use Carl's word a little more in conversation. But then again, I do live in West Virginia. Yeah. so. I was, I was going to say, in West Virginia, I don't see many opportunities to use uh, mer- mercurial. But when you are <laughs> from the roaming bands of troglodytic cannibals Troglodyte, on the other hand that, yeah um, necessary uh, Carl what what about uh, what about you uh, I think um, annoying all the right people has undoubtedly been one of the most satisfying uh, parts of the year uh, I think there is a place in the Christian world for uh, for people to burn their bridges uh, to, to get themselves uninvited from places because they're willing to, to speak out on issues that matter. And I hope that we fulfill something of that role. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I never got many invitations before, but I think I get even fewer now. <laughs> so, so that's, that's been interesting. Freeze up I, the family um, time. That's right, that's right. I think about some of, um, some of the folks we've interviewed. We've, we've had um, an opportunity to talk to um, some really interesting uh, people and some people who I think have had some really helpful things to say. Um, I think about uh, actually some ones that we just recorded recently that we even haven't broadcast yet that I'm really looking forward um, to airing um, pretty soon here. But you know, there's been a number that I've that I've really enjoyed. Of course, having um, Dan and Frank from Pyromaniacs uh, uh, was uh, was enjoyable, and we got to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture with them. That was a lot of fun. Um, what are some of uh, the other ones that were uh, particularly uh, fun to uh, to have on? I think the the conversation with Denny Burke on his his book on sex, the meaning of sexuality, uh, that was an extremely uh, helpful one for me personally. That was a good. That was a very good yeah. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Amy. I'm really I'm looking forward to our airing of our um, interview we did with Diane Langberg on sexual yeah. abuse in the church because yeah. as far as the the year past goes. I really appreciated that episode that you and Carl did on um, spousal abuse in the church. That and was, yeah, that left ahead. all three of us, I think, that, that left all three of us, I think, really um, impressed with, I mean, we, all three of us were very, very glad that we had that, that discussion with her, that we had her as a guest. She was very helpful. Yes, I, I think that uh, it, it, it changed the way in, in, in the change the way I think pastorally about one or two issues in a fairly fundamental way, as I think will become evident when the, the program airs. And I'm left more convinced than ever that while I am a complementarian, I think that complementarian churches are on a very steep learning curve in terms of how to handle women, particularly abused women. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Carl. Yep, I think that's right. So um, thanks go out to, um, first of all, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Um, coming along with the idea of the podcast and of course uh, supremely thanks uh, to those who take time to listen 
and um, to those who have a few extra dollars here and there to, to give so that we can continue to uh, broadcast uh, Mortification of Spin, we are um, especially thankful uh, uh, to you. And of course, thanks also to the broader word of, world of evangelicals because they never fail to give us plenty of things to talk about. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thankful for that as well. This has been a Bully Pulpit from Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Just for listening, we'd like to give you a free resource. Visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to find a link to the download. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include reformation21.org, Every Last Word with Philip Reichen, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again and don't forget your free download.